Welcome to the Top of Mind podcast from Altos Research. This is the show where we talk to real estate industry insiders and experts about the trends shaping the market today. Enjoy the show. Mike Simonson here. Thanks for joining me today. Welcome to the Top of Mind podcast. For almost four years now, we've been sharing our our latest market data every week in our weekly Altos Research video series. With the Top of Mind podcast, we are looking to add context to the discussion about what's happening in the market from leaders in the industry. Every week, Altos Research tracks every home for sale in the country. We track all the pricing, all the supply and demand, all the changes in that data, and we make it available to you before you see it in the traditional channels. People desperately need to know what's happening in the housing market right now. The market was frozen solid, then it turned around a little bit last year, then the fourth quarter was kind of crazy again this year, but the landscape is changing again now after the new year. And if you need to communicate about this market to your clients, go to altosresearch.com and just book a free consult with our team. We'll review your local market and how you can use market data in your business. All right, let's get to the show. I have, a, I have a great guest today, a returning guest, Selma Hap. Selma is the chief economist for CoreLogic, the largest provider of advanced property and ownership and analytics uh, and data-enabled services in, in real estate. Selma leads the economics team, which is responsible for analyzing, interpreting, forecasting, housing, and economic trends in real estate, mortgage, and insurance. Selma has had senior roles at PacUnion, Uh, Trulia, the California Association of Realtors, the National Association, and uh, was also a special uh, research assistant at HUD. She's obviously in the media commenting on housing frequently, um, and she notably received uh, the Housing Wire Women of Influence Award in 2022. Uh, Selma is one of the top experts on what's happening in the housing economy right now. CoreLogic has remarkable data to build on, and so we're going to talk about what CoreLogic knows. We're going to talk about 2024. We're going to talk about all of the signals we know right now and see what we can learn about the housing market. So, Selma, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Mike. Thanks so much for having me back. So, you know, most of our listeners know CoreLogic, uh, but why don't you give us, for those who don't either know CoreLogic and, and you and your journey, give us a little bit. I gave a little bit of your, your cred, your street cred, but, but uh, give us a little bit of your background so we know what we're talking about here. Sure. So I've spent the last, um, I want to say it's coming on four years at CoreLogic. Um, one interesting thing uh, in my career, I started at CoreLogic on March 17, 2020, which was the shutdown day. So um, it's, you know, ever since I started at CoreLogic, the housing market has been on a roller coaster ride. Um, so very uh, interesting perspective, you know, to gain from that. But um, before CoreLogic, I was with PacUnion, as you mentioned. I was with PacUnion for four years. So I spent a lot of time arming realtors, uh, real estate agents, uh, brokers, and also MLS executives with um, sort of trends in the housing market to help them um inform their clients and, and, and learn, have talking points uh, with their clients on what, what is happening in the housing, what was happening in the mar- housing market at the time. 
um, the the PAC union was later bought by by Compass. Um, so more people probably know about Compass maybe than PAC union. Then before that, I was a chief economist at Trulia. Um, Trulia is more consumer oriented um, group. So so we were trying to inform consumers on the benefits and advantages or uh, hurdles in home ownership. Um, and then before that, I was with the um, California Association of Realtors and National Association of Realtors. So I've spent a lot of time with realtors um, and trying to understand, you know, their point of view. Um, and so, and going into uh, at HUD, I was actually at the time also working on my dissertation. Actually, my dissertation came out of my work that uh, I did at HUD. And um, I was at University of Maryland. Um, at the time, there was a program called uh, Smart Growth Program. And so we sort of tried to, um, you know, look at uh, land use practices to ensure that growth is sustainable and, you know, does not lead to sprawl and, you know, con- you know traffic congestion and everything else that, that you know, results from sprawl, but it seems as though we are today back to the same questions, you know, with just people moving out to more uh, exurban areas, more rural areas. So so I feel like I've done a 360 uh, circle here in terms of the questions we look at um, about the overall sort of built environment. So, yeah, and uh, and I was a real estate agent myself for a couple of years. <laughs> that was in Florida in 2004. So there was super interesting time to be in the housing market. As you recall, everything that was happening, you know, the movie, um, what was that movie? Um, the Big Short? Yes. I mean, I felt like I lived through that <laughs> uh, experience. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, so that's that's a little bit about me. <laughs> That's a great that, that's a, a, a great story and actually provides a lot of context. And there's a, I, I guess I don't remember you saying before that, that March 17, 2020 was your start day with CoreLogic. But man, what a, what a momentous day for housing and for understanding the, the real estate market. And, you know, it's funny because we started this uh, my, the video series, not the podcast, but like doing weekly videos on the, on the national data at that exact same time, because I assumed, and everybody assumed, that the housing market was going to crash. The shutdown was going to crash. And and we were, and so we were three weeks in, and I was like, guys, people are buying houses. It was three weeks of crash before recovery started. And, and so um, it really, that moment is really a powerful i think communication about like what the reason that we're doing this conversation now right there are things to pay attention to in the data that surprise us um and so i am very much looking forward to talking about what you're surprised about and what you're looking for this year um and interestingly on the the land use and your dissertation and the smart growth um uh, approach that's obviously as you point out like a uh, momentous changes during the pandemic. We like broad demographic and um, migration pattern changes. Um, and, and I'm uh, maybe later on, we have time. We'll circle back to it and, and talk about if there are things that we can see now, 2024, uh, that changing again, but let's start with 2023. So it's not January, 2024. Um, let's look back for a minute. Uh, what surprised you about the year 
And what what didn't surprise you? Well, I'd say that the year was full of surprises. <laughs> um, and I think what surprised me the most, and I guess what caught everybody by surprise, was the interest rate hike increase, right? Um, I, I think going into 2023, um, you know, if you recall, mortgage rates peaking in, in November of 2022 and then starting. I mean, the situation is almost exactly the same today. You know, it, it peaked at the end of the year, it started coming down. And, you know, we had so much uh, momentum going into 2023. And then and then the banking crisis happened. And not that that was the reason for what happened subsequently to mortgage rates, but but it did, you know, it, mortgage rates did end up going much higher. And so it really, you know, locked. And so as a result of that, you know, the lock-in effect that we ended up seeing in terms of supply was also, I think, something we were not necessarily planning for. Uh, you know, overall, when you think about what the forecasts were for 2023, was for home sales and activity to, you know, return to some level of normalcy after those roller coaster years of 2020 to 2022. Uh, but in fact, we ended up, you know, finding new bottoms over and over again. <laughs> um, you know, not so much for home prices, which was another surprise, right? We didn't think that home prices were going to remain as steady or in some markets rebound as much as they did. So, you know, we ended up, we, you know, Ecology got a lot of heat at the beginning of the year for our forecast for home prices, but actually our forecast turned out to be pretty, <laughs> pretty, pretty solid, you know, um, you know, just given, you know, everything else that happening and how everything else in the market played out. Um, I what was your forecast at the beginning of 2023 for home prices? Was it a positive year? I, it seemed to. Yeah, it was a positive year. I think it was very low uh, rate overall, maybe two or three percent increase in home prices. Um, but but it was positive, whereas a lot of folks were, you know, uh, forecasting declines in home prices. Declines, and so what went into that uh, forecast that made you say up year, even if it's you know two or three percent, which is basically exactly where prices landed. So what went into that forecast? Well, I think uh, one important thing was inventories. We saw inventories. If you remember at the end of 2022, inventories basically collapsed. There was nothing, you know, everything, well, in some market, in, in many markets, it collapsed, um, yeah. you know, and then so, so we were, you know, and then, you know, we, we knew we were sort of start the new, new home construction, um, you know, and, and I think what the other thing we saw is a lot of people were employed, right? People, when people are employed, they spend money, they can buy homes. And, you know, the, the rate of unemployment at that uh, point was still flirting be, below 4%. I, I want to say that's when it hit three point. We were like 3.6, if I'm remembering now. It's been, you know, it's, it seems like it's so long ago. I can't even yeah. remember where, uh, where, um, where unemployment was. But, you know, people were employed uh, and they, you know, everybody who wanted, in, in a sense, you know, got a better job. You know, when you looked at the number of people that transitioned into, uh, into new jobs, I think, you know, more than half of um, working population got a new job during the pandemic. And so that really helped with uh, with consumer purchase power right so so that was another thing um, 
Yeah, I mean, I, overall, I think the fundamentals were strong. I think what we were worried about was the impact of mortgage rates on on affordability, which, you know, it, you know, and the other thing is, too, I think what, the, you know, I keep talking about tale of two markets throughout this year because that's really what it was. You know, we 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 had enough inventory uh, for some folks who had a lot of income and a lot of cash, not so much for those folks who were income constrained, um, you know, and, and, and so, you know, so some could buy, the others couldn't buy. And, and so that's an unfortunate reality of, of today's housing market. That's amazing. So, uh, okay. So going into 2023, you were, the forecast was for a two or 3% home price, um, uh, increase for the year. And, and by the Altos data, home prices increased like 2.6% for the year. Like it is, that's exactly where, where, and, and so you using things like inventory and, and employment and like the, those things that, that came into that. Okay. So that's useful. And at that time, that was a pretty strong call because most people were calling for a down year in prices and some were calling for a big down year in prices. So, uh, all right. Given that you are so good at forecasting, <laughs> tell me about your 2024 forecast. I give all the credit to to the team at at CoreLogic. I, I I'm just the the messenger. <laughs> but um, yeah. So for for our forecast for 2024, we do. Uh, have another couple to three percent increase in home prices. In our data, actually, home price was a little bit stronger for 2023. It, it ended up at, at, at about four percent on average. Um, but but I think that's you know just a matter of like how do you weight data, which markets you weight more than others. You know that's always the difference between different home price indices. So some some slowing in a sense because not four percent but a three percent increase in home prices. Um, okay. So we do see that. You know I do think it's going to vary again by market. Um, so you know when we see when we say home prices are strong, they, they weren't strong everywhere. Um, some markets are still resetting or have have yet to really reset from the declines that we've seen um, at the end of 2022. I'm thinking specifically of uh, Austin and, and, for example, Boise, uh, some Idaho markets. You know, they're still, uh, I think that was, they overshot. The biggest pandemic boom markets, yep. Yeah, so we do have some resetting going on in some markets. But but what was interesting to me so far or coming into the end of this year into 2024 is some of the markets, some of the newcomers in terms of home price appreciation, like New England markets, you know, we... we you know when you know I started talking about um, my 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 dissertation, and at the time I was um, interested in repopulation of urban centers, and you know which were growth urban growth areas, and you know we saw a lot of people leaving, uh, you know particularly then the Rust Belt, but also um, New England regions, and now we see people coming back to those regions, you know, and and so I think that's an interesting development, and so we've we are seeing a lot of home price appreciation in those markets too. Then you know there are markets that uh, had seen resets, but maybe undershot in terms of resets, and now are, are you know rebalancing again. And, and like SoCal, for example, or Phoenix, Las Vegas. I mean, there are surprise markets to me too, but but we have seen a lot of appreciation there. So um, so yeah, so we, you know, so we were thinking you know that will continue, just maybe not at the same pace. But Midwest markets too, you know. Be, affordability being one reason the other is there's a lot of investment going on in those markets you know 
uh, Chips Act and IRA, a lot of uh, manufacturing, uh, reshoring and things like that, bringing a lot of jobs. So, so uh, you know, expected appreciation there as well. Yeah. I, um, Phoenix and Las Vegas, you mentioned, those were both uh, much more resilient this year than I expected. Where where Austin was not right, and and obviously did not find the bottom yet, but but Vegas did, um, and and Vegas is usually the highest volatility market, highest on the upside and and fastest on the downside. Do you have any sense about why that was? Why why Vegas and Phoenix maybe found a floor where Austin didn't? Right, I think those are continue to be uh, high growth, popu- high population growth markets. Um, the other thing is we looked at um, income of people moving into those markets and differential between their income and income of local residents. And we found that in Phoenix and Vegas, for example, incoming residents uh, or incoming home buyers have as much as 50 to 60% higher incomes. And in an environment where you have constrained inventory, you know, that can really uh, put pressure on home prices. Uh, so I think that one of the main reasons, the Vegas, for example, I think also got became more diversified economically as a market. You know, it, it was mostly leisure and hospitality. I think now we see many more um, industries in that market and, you know, and, you know, California's and, and West Coast is known to be moving out of the more expensive markets. And that's uh, one, you know, market that gains from 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 out, outbound, you know, from people moving out of California and, and Washington and Oregon. Uh, it's affordable. It's got a lot of new construction. Um, you know, it's it's got a lot of these type of jobs that, you um, you know, just um, it's easy to transfer skills from, you know, one to the other, right? They're not highly specialized markets, you know, where Austin, I think, is very high tech. And we've seen some weaknesses in high tech sectors. So, you know, hence sort of um, impact on the housing market. I, that's just my theory. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's I really like that. The, the inbound income differential um, is, I think, is really notable for especially Vegas. Um, and, um, uh, and it was actually notable in Austin during the pandemic, but then, but with the tech correction, Austin, Austin obviously feels it more. That's, that's a great explanation. I appreciate that very much. Um, in the Midwest, uh, have you paid any attention to Indianapolis? Um, not specifically to Indianapolis, but generally the Midwest region. Yes. Yeah. So there are other parts of Midwest that have done really, really well over the last year or so. So, yeah. And, and- yeah. And, and inventory is still at pandemic lows and, uh, and, um, prices are marching up and like those kind of things seem, uh, pretty, uh, impactful. I've noticed, I was having a conversation about Indianapolis recently about, um, was a strong year, but is right now Indianapolis and our data is topping the price reductions data. Meaning Indianapolis is like showing some weaknesses in the in 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 the housing market, and I and I was curious if I'm looking for signals of why. I think it, Indianapolis benefited from, as you pointed out, the Chips Act and and the Inflation Reduction Act, and like there's a lot of investment happening, um, and so there was some good growth there. But but uh, it was interesting watching the cycle. So I'm just I'm just looking for signals. Here. Yeah, no, that, that's a good point. I, I think you know what's in many markets that are you know, and, and we have a lot of inventory constrained markets, right? You have an issue with price discovery when you have such a constrained market. So prices 
tend to overshoot, you know, and every metro has sort of their income limit, right? Because, you know, Indianapolis is not going to be a metro where you have a lot of, you know, high income earners or you know, high income earners moving into that area. So there's almost like a ceiling, you know, and so when you reach that ceiling uh, for affordability, you'll see, you know, more price corrections. That's uh, yeah, for sure. And, and maybe we maybe that's exactly right. They're they're feeling uh, the affordability acutely at that mo- in that moment there. OK, cool. Well, that's that's super interesting. Um, when we talk about the other things so we talked about, the CoreLogic uh, projection of, of two to three percent home price gains for the year. Uh, what other things for 2024 are you forecasting or should we pay attention? Big takeaways that we should pay attention to. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, that that home sales forecast is, you know, it's a moving target <laughs> because mortgage rates have come down, you know, and, and so I'll say that the home sales forecast is very contingent on what happens with inventories. Some folks believe that inventories are going to rebound more than others, right? And, and I'm not... I am honestly, you know, I've been thinking a lot about this because I was fully convinced that, you know, that you won't get people moving if they have a 3% mortgage rates, you know, if if even if current mortgage rates come down to 6 or 5.8, um, you know, but maybe you would, you know, and, and the other thing is, you know, a lot of baby boomers have uh, uh, own free and clear, right? So they're not, you know, dependent on that lock-in. They're not locked in. Um, so, I, so I don't know. So I've been struggling with this idea of what happens with inventory. I mean, obviously, uh, we've seen some stabilization in terms of, you know, the, the drop-off that we see at the end of the year in terms of new listings. We haven't seen as much of a drop-off. So that's encouraging. So we may end up, in fact, seeing more home sales in 2024, um, I mean, just over the last couple of weeks, I've been working, thinking about that, you know, but nevertheless, so the other thing that we do expect is more refis. Uh, obviously, there's been a quite a bit of buildup and refi potential uh, over the last year and a half with with mortgage rates being as, as high as they were. You know, I think we have over two million loans uh, that were originated over six and a half percent. So, you know, you know, whatever the breaking point for people is, so mortgages come to five, you know, to five handle, you know, you, you have potential building up there. Um, so we do see quite a bit of an increase in refi potential, in refis versus just overall purchase origination. So our overall origination forecast for next year is about 12% increase. And again, a lot of it coming from refis. Um, you know, uh, we are in the soft landing camp, you know, I think nothing at this point is telling us that there is, um, you know, a recession, imminent recession ahead. But, you know, there's always things to worry about. (laughs) We are economists, you know, economists always worry about everything, you know, so we we worry. And, you know, there's concerns about, you know, commercial real estate. Uh, There's concerns about still the banking sector, you know, but all of these in a sense, dissipate as we get mortgage rates moving lower, or it's to some extent dissipate, you know, so, so, you know, um, I do think mortgage rates will continue declining, uh, probably reach below 6% by the end of this year, you know, um, 
you know, if there is no surprises. I mean, I, I am concerned about the geopolitical situation right now, which could, you know, have impact on inflation. That's, those are terrific. Let me ask you about a couple of them. Mortgage originations, 12% increase this year is what you're, what you're forecasting. And that is both uh, an increase in the number of sales as well as an increase in, in refis, correct? Mm-hmm. So um, number of home sales is, um, you think is maybe about 8 or 10% more and, and a couple percent of refis. How much of, uh, how, how do you look at home sales specifically for the year? Right. So in terms of origination, mortgage origination, we see an increase of 2% coming from, or purchase originations increasing 2% and then refis increasing 60%. Wow. Okay. So only a 2% increase in home sales, mortgage origination homes for home sales. Right. Right. But I, 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 I'm, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm, um, Reevaluating that. <laughs> I see. Right. So I see because, as you pointed out, it looks like we have some easing of the inventory crisis, and therefore we would have some easing of uh, the sales volume. Like we're at a, in an inventory, a supply constrained right, market. Right. Right. Okay, great. Well, I think you and I are well aligned on that. Um, measuring in the last um, six weeks, inventory climbing relative to last year. Uh, each week, uh, each week a little more relative to last year, and so I think we are at about four and a half percent more homes on the market now as we start 2024 than we did the year before. So that's four and a half percent more that can sell, um, and that's been growing. So it's been growing um, uh, gently, uh, but I think as you were saying, it's like fewer and fewer people are. Um, they are in their lock-in mindset. And so that's starting to ease out and, and having a few more people list their homes. Well, the so, other thing about purchases too is, you know, we've seen an increase in cash purchases. You know, that, mm-hmm. that share has been on the rise and it really jumped at the end of last year um, to almost like, I want to say 38%. Um, so, you know, you know, so there could be more sales. It's just we're talking about purchase origina- mortgage originations, right? Um, there could be more from cash purchases. Right, right. Uh, for sure. Um, cash purchases are, are still on the increase. Um, that's that's really that's really um, interesting to hear you say because I, I we don't track mortgages. I don't track mortgages at, at Altos, but but um, but thinking about we can see the inventory climbing and we can watch. You know the new pendings each week, the new contracts getting signed is is climbing, inching up, right along with the um, with the uh, the 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 inventory. In fact, in the New Year's week data, which is as we're recording this, the most recent data I have, uh, we have um, with twenty percent more new contracts than a year ago, same week a year ago, twenty percent. And like you know, most of the year we were. 10, 20, 30% fewer transactions. And so now we're starting on the other side. So that'll be interesting to see. You'll have to let me know if you revise your your 2% increase up because if that increases, if 2% increases, uh, you know, goes to like, I think we're probably at about a 10% year in terms of new, in terms of new purchases. And we get the refis. Like that's a significant rebound for the mortgage business this year. The, uh, the, the, let's then let's talk about, uh, broader economy now, you know, we all, of course we have 
as you say, there's, there's always things to be worried about. Um, uh, I think, um, tell me, let's start there. Tell me what you're worried about. Well, I am worried about the geopolitical situation right now. I think it's scary what's going on. And I think, you know, you know, the, the prospect of, um, the conflict spreading, um, it's, that's, you know, that's really scary. Um, anyways, that's, you know, that one keeps me up, actually does keep me up at night. Um, but, um, you know, the other things, well, I guess that's the main one. The other things, obviously, is the election coming. And, you know, I, I do worry about our, um, rhetoric, you know, their political rhetoric, and just how does that impact, you know, so we also again now have this looming <laughs> um, debt ceiling situation, right? And so that actually does have potentially impact on, on mortgage rates, right? This does have impact on interest rates. Um, so just lack of, um, you know, construct, constructive conversation, um, and, you know, how that feeds into the uh, economy overall. That that worries me as well. Yeah, so let's talk about the election. People have been asking me lately, um, what is my take on uh, the election sort of direct impact on the housing market? And I think the underlying assumption is often that, um, you know, the politicians uh, aren't going to let the economy go into a recession because it's an election year and therefore they're going to save anything that might go wrong. Um, I have opinions on it, but I'm curious how you answer that question. What do you think? Is there an impact that we can expect from an election year on housing? Right. So let, well, let me put it this way. So, um, you know, there's differences in how the two different potential two different administration look at homeownership versus renter uh rent rentership right and so you know the current administration has done a lot to incentivize you know to improve supply issues particularly for home home ownership for owner occupied homes and so you know they've been doing a lot to to try to you know to spur up supply and and also to ensure affordability and and, and so on and so forth in, on the flip side, you know, when you think about previous uh, or potentially next, you know, the other side of the story, right, is that 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 administration is more um, the policies are more favorable towards renter uh, rentership and investor incentives, you know, so that can be impact, um, you know, just basically uh, access to home ownership access to um to credit as well um so you know so that those could be some of the differences the other is you know taxes as well um if you recall you know salt um state and local uh state and local tax deduction uh caps you know and and also the mortgage interest deduction cap had an impact on these you know there are tend to be more blue states but on these more expensive markets you know and so we've seen as a result of that some up migration for example out of california uh, because these deduction caps do have an impact on middle income you know tax bill um, and and so you know so it, you know so that could sort of play out in some way as well, but yeah, I mean I think those are the two main things that sort of tend to look at. Yeah, so there there are. Um, do we see anything in the pipeline? 
like the salt tax was a big deal. Uh, yeah. And that was really interestingly hit the middle income taxpayer in that sense. And, and do you, do, are, is there anything on the horizon or on your radar for this year? Um, I, I, uh, the debt ceiling, I think is an important one. Um, anything other those or any of the policy changes that you've heard talked about that you think we should be paying attention to? Well, the one that I've been asked about is the one on about the hedge funds, you know, buying real estate, uh, rental properties. Um, you know, that's a, that's sort of been discussed for the last few years. And, um, you know, one thing, so I don't, I don't know how far that will go, but I, you know, I think different administration have, may have different takes on that, for example. Right. Um, so, so that could have an impact, but, um, you know, I, I do, um, you know, so I am concerned that, you know, the supply, you know, we need more supply. So whatever we do to incentivize that supply, it, it would be helpful, you know, long term, short term, it just would be, you know, for a more healthier housing market. Yeah, I, I, so hedge funds, that that would be one what, what happens with that. Um, you know, there were some talks about doing some tax incentives for small investors, like we're like, you know, mom and pop investors that own like two, three properties. And how do we sort of incentivize them to give up uh, some of that inventory towards more, uh, you know, ownership um, uh, inventory? You know, I mean, there's a lot of other things, uh, you know, manufactured housing is now been like a big topic, too. Uh, so to what extent we have um uh, credit um, mechanisms in place for people to purchase such housing, you know, because uh, before, you know, and, and I think Fannie Mae now has a program that that helps people, you know, finance it on a 30 year fix with a 30 year fixed mortgage. So, you know, so all the ways in which we can uh, promote affordable homeownership and sustainable homeownership, right? Those are great. And, and let me ask you, um, so yeah, the hedge fund policy is really fascinating. And it's and actually compared to the individual investors, you know, it's something like 94% of, of investment properties in the US are owned by the individuals. But of course, the the hedge fund landlord is about as ready-made villain as, as we can, you know, you can make for central casting, you know, and so they get, of course, get a lot of the attention. Um, what is your opinion on the incentive? So for, I'm in, in particular, incentivizing individual investors to unload some of their properties and turn it back into resale inventory. Um, do you think that's smart? Do you think it's uh, could be effective? Do you think it's uh, crazy? What do you think about that? Well, you know, what I would say is that we should maybe put our efforts into building more <laughs> as opposed to, I mean, it's just moving around the same inventory. And our issue is not, you know, some people, you know, want to rent and, and, and you know, are perfectly fine and their financial situation is such where, you know, they're better off renting. So I think we should focus much more on new building more, you know, and removing barriers to new construction. And, and so, and it's funny because it's, it's not an issue everywhere in the country. You know, some, some markets have plenty of new construction, but some markets are just can't get out of their own way. Uh, you know, so, so I think that's more important to me than, you know, how do we shift around who owns, you know, a, a property. Uh, the other thing, you know, about the hedge funds, 
months. You know, we've done a lot of analysis. Sorry, we have investor quarterly investor report. You know, they they large institutional investors tend to own in like handful of markets, you know, because they need economies of scale to make this all work. And and I've just was reading a, a Wall Street Journal article on um, how they are actually building their own communities. Right. Or they're, you know, in, investing in construction of new communities. That's all good because we need new homes, you know, Um so, yeah, I would just say that let's just uh, uh, widen the type and size and of homes and where we build. Great. Is there I, – I, I love that. I think it's – you know, we talk about hedge fund owners and individual owners and tax and things, and it's like we just need to build some houses. <laughs> uh, I appreciate that very much. Um, are there other insights in the quarterly investor report that um, – takeaways that we should that are notable obviously we've got like uh concentration places like tampa and and the suburban atlanta and some of the, some of those places that have a lot of concentration are there, what other things should we know about the about real estate investors from that data right so you know we break down the investors by size so we have small medium large and in, in mega would be called um you know and actually the the predominant uh, activities among small and medium investors. So that's three to 10, uh, you know, and over 10, 10 to, I want to say 100 properties. But but let's focus on these three to 10, because even when we look at that distribution of three to 10, which is a small investor, majority are in that three, uh, you know, very, very small. And, and so, and in these markets where we are very, very constrained in terms of inventory, like California markets, that's where we see a lot of small investors, mom and pop investors. So, so that's an interesting takeaway. Um, you know, the other thing is we looked at, you know, is is iBuyer activity, but that's sort of been, that's an old story at this point because it's proven to be very difficult to, um, you know, to, to um, you know, to, to forecast individual home prices, um, you know, um, so, so you know, iBuyers are, have not been very active or have not been active at all, basically since the middle of last two years ago. Great. Yeah. And in fact, we will, before we're done and in the show notes, we'll make sure we have your contact information. In fact, I'd love to see that report. I haven't, I don't think I've seen that one, uh, the quarterly one. So, um, that the investor report, uh, is really, it really be useful there. Um, uh, okay. Are there trends, that you think are currently underemphasized in the media or like that the headlines have wrong right now. I always, I'm always interested in like, we have actual data and here's what I keep hearing. What, is there anything like that that jumps out to you? Well, I, I will say that um, if anything, everything feels like it's overemphasized in the, in the media, um, you know, particularly the bad, like, you know, bad always, you know, feeds the, Bad news always sort of stands on top, um, you know, and, and, I, and I would say throughout this whole year, I felt like um, the, the, the sentiment was, you know, when this other shoe, you know, there were, everybody was waiting for the other shoe to, to drop, you know, and, and recession is right around the corner and home prices are just about to fall off the, you know, the cliff. Um, so that's been sort of sentiment that sometimes I get from, from, you know, from media, um, you know, and, but, and, and so the other thing is, you know, 
um, this disconnect that we have in terms of consumer sentiment and what's actually happening in the economy, you know, and consumers are so unhappy, you know, and then, but on the other side, you know, our, our economic growth has been incredible, particularly, you know, more recently in, you know, the second part of last year. Um, and, and so you ask yourself, well, what's, what's the issue? And, and I think people are maybe, you know, maybe, maybe tired of, well, you know, we came out of recession, sorry, we came out of a pandemic and then we went into this, inflation, you know, spiral, and it felt that you were just sort of, um, you know, you, you know, everybody was out to get you everywhere you went, you know, whether that's your contractor, because you had to fix something in your house, or there was, you know, milk or egg prices. And, and I think people are angry because of that. But, but, but that's not a true reflection of our economy because we, you know, we are really, <clears throat> you know, you know, uh, um, our unemployment is the historical lows. People are making more money. Real incomes are growing. Um, you know, so, so there's so many positives out there, but it's just that never sort of resurfaces, you know, in, in the, in the media. So, yeah. Do you have a, do you have the impact of that or do you see implications of that? So we have this disconnect of, um, you know, the economy that we're measuring and people's interpretation of the economy, are we seeing that translate into behavior or? Well, I mean, I think it's going to impact the elections, <laughs> which has a huge repercussions, you know. But the other thing is, I think people are also very, um, well, they're negative on the housing market. If you look at the, you know, granted, I mean, there are a lot of things that are not good about the housing market, but but it's just, you know, if you look at survey after survey, people, you know, increasingly think it's a really bad time to buy. You know, is it really, I, I, I don't know, if, you, if you're in for a long term, if you have means, if you, you know, if you're, what is it, ready, willing, and able, um, you know, and, and you can find a home, you know, I, I you know, it's, it's, um, you know, I, I don't see that as, as being as bad, I guess, as, 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 uh, as the broad sentiment says. Yeah. And it's funny how, you know, a bad time to buy, what does that mean? Well, it's a bad time to buy because inventory is low and I don't have a good selection. I have cash. I have, I have the need, right, but, right. but I don't have selection. That That's a different kind of bad time to buy than I expect home prices to tank is a different kind of thing, or it's bad, you know, because it was mortgage rates were you know, dramatically lower two years ago. Uh, and, and so that, like, I, I always wonder what that, that means is, are they saying, well, it's bad for everybody else. I have a great deal, but it's bad for everybody else. <laughs> like, what? So I'm not sure what, what bad time to buy is, but it is notable that how many people think it's a bad time to buy uh, homes. And I, mean, and I still get questions from, you know, friends and, you know, acquaintances, you know, when are home prices going to fall? Cause I'm ready. I'm going to buy when home prices fall. <laughs> yes. What a, you know, right. It's like the assumption is they must fall. They must fall. And yeah. My, 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 you know, my response to that is, is, is the, like, you know, the crisis is what if they don't, Right. Like now, well, what are we really going to worry about? Like, how do we in interpret what happens next? Um, 
That's, that's really great. Okay, I've got a couple, just a couple more sort of bigger picture questions for you. Are there stuff you're doing at CoreLogic, products or, you know, research or, you know, your investor reports or whatever that uh, people should be paying attention to right now? Are there, are there cool things happening that, are, that we should have top of mind for us? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we are always doing a lot of innovative stuff. I think that's my, you know, favorite thing about CoreLogic is that because of the um, depth of the data that we have, we're able to develop so many new solutions um, and, and insights. But, you know, one thing, like last year, we, we released a climate risk analytics platform um, that leverages all of this, uh, you know, 360 view of a home uh, with, you know, overlay with climate uh, climate data and sort of gives you um, you know, your risk profile. And it's turned out that people are paying more attention to that right now. Um, and so, so you know, you're thinking ahead sort of like, you know, well, you know, how is that going to play out in terms of geographic distribution of population and, 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 and home, home ownership and things like that? But um, the other thing is, you know, we, you know, AI and, and, and uh, machine learning obviously has been a big uh, word of 2023. And, and we've invested in a lot of uh, data analytics uh, to to um, you know to provide uh, valuable insights. So we have a lot of uh, predictive analytics um, that use these type of models. We have uh, you know AVM. Obviously, we have a, a risk management platform that also um, uses machine learning, fraud detection. It also incorporates AI and ML. Um, so so you know geospatial analysis, for example, that's you know that's a big one, and that really fits fits well into this um, sort of risk. And and, um, you know, proximity, um, you know, proximity to risk, proximity to new development. We have a new growth development model. So basically, we're trying to identify new growth regions in a country uh, by looking at um you know, various data sources that we have. The cool thing at CoreLogic is we, you know, each property basically has a unique identifier through which you can um, link all various disparate data sources about that property into like one profile, you know, so you can, that's what I mean by 360 views. So, you know, so that's enabled us to develop a really cool uh, uh, in innovative solutions that, you know, everybody in this industry basically is looking at. Um, so. Yeah. Okay. Those are really neat. That's really neat stuff. The climate risk uh, analytics is, I think, potential is, 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 uh, obviously get, uh, growing in importance. And one place we see this is in insurance uh, costs in California, of course, Florida, but also places like Texas. And we can see those uh, really kicking in. And um, do you have a, any take on insurance costs and and um maybe in the impact on the market or or things like that a climate risk and the impact on the and on the market have are we starting to measure things yeah yeah so i mean it's you know that the question of rising insurance costs has been like i think the top question of 2023 that i got and and it's very hard to measure it because it's uh well it, you know there's no publicly available data out there right and well, anyways, the data itself, the actual insurance a premium as a data, um, 
you know, more uh, on a smaller geography, it's very hard to come by. So you have some state level data and things like that. The other thing is as a fraction of overall uh, mortgage expense, it's not that high unless you live in these very hazard prone areas. It's not really, you know, if you're, if you're sort of in the you know, well, anywhere where, you know, you don't have wildfires or hurricanes, you know, it's, it's a fraction of a cost. So, you know, I, I don't know, maybe $1,500 a year is an average premium at the moment, you know, and that's up from like 1200 a couple years ago. But if you are in wildfire area, like Napa, for example, and i Thinking specifically Napa, I just came from Napa. I spent Christmas there, and uh, you know, talked to a lot of friends there about their housing market. And basically, it's frozen because you cannot get insurance. You know, and obviously, you know, you can't get insurance, you can't get a mortgage. So basically, only people with cash can buy and who are willing to take the risk and self-insure. Um, you know, or pay. You know astronomical amounts for that insurance. Um, so, you know, so what does that mean long-term for, you know, for, for these type of markets? And, but, you know, what we would, you know, we did some analysis in Coral, at CoreLogic about um, sort of, you know, mitigation, uh, ways of mitigating this and, and adaptive um, modifications to home. And, and, you know, if you do, um, if you, you know, protect your house in a way, right, if you, you know, put, you know, fire resistant roof or, you know, you know, there's so many things you can do. And I, I don't even know to name them all. But basically, if you do some some of these things, it can uh, tr help tremendously. And, and basically what we saw in our data that homes that did uh, uh, do, do those upgrades that had relatively less um, uh, um, uh, less increase in delinquency when a hazard happened, you know, so the delinquency rate was sh lower and they uh, recovered faster uh, following a disaster. So, so I think we'll see a lot of that happening, uh, you know, where people, where maybe, maybe, you know, local governments will be investing in those type of uh, um, you know, modifications. Yeah. Interesting. Yes, for sure. Okay. And, and I think it's a big deal. We may have to spend more time on insurance costs. And, um, I did a, uh, I did a podcast with a, with a company about, uh, who, um, is do, does the, the wildfire analytics and uh, like by, by property level, like interesting level stuff that, and, um, and so that's, uh, and I know that the, the climate risk, uh, platform that you guys are doing is really playing into that very strongly. I think um, big deal for places like California. I'm in California. I'm in a house. You can't get insurance on the house that I'm sitting in right now. Uh, have to use a state backup plan, and and uh, it's like, it, and that was I bought this one eight years ago. Um, so okay, Selma, it's been terrific. Thank you so much for your view on uh, 2024, our review of 2023, all of the things that we get to see with the CoreLogic data. Um, uh, and where should people reach out to you? You mentioned the the, the investor report, but where, where should they follow you on LinkedIn? Yeah, I'm I'm most active on LinkedIn. I I sort of uh, there's too many platforms, right? <laughs> to, but I do do LinkedIn. I, I find it to be most useful. So that's where I post a lot of uh, our research. We on our CoreLogic uh, website, we ha we have intelligence uh, pay 
part of the page where we post a lot of not just uh, Office of Chief Economist, but all the uh, uh, groups in, in CoreLogic post their research. Um, so I would highly recommend folks uh, checking that out as well. Great. Perfect. We'll make sure there are links for that for in the notes, everybody. And uh, everyone, thank you so much. This is the Top of Mind podcast. Selma Hep, thank you for joining us. Everyone, if you uh, find that you enjoy the podcast, I appreciate a review, a bunch of stars on wherever you get your podcast. That really helps other people find the podcast. So uh, thank you for those in advance. And, and we'll be back again in a week or two with another uh, episode of the, the Top of Mind podcast. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to Top of Mind. If you enjoyed the show, I'd really appreciate leaving a nice review on your favorite podcast app that helps other people find us as well. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss future episodes.